Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for January 7th, 2023 Saturday reading of the Arapahoe County News. My name is Pablo. Today, we will be reading the following main articles. Partisan Abide, Democrat-Controlled Legislature to Focus on Gun Reform Law, Healthcare, Education, by Sentinel Staff. Judge dismisses case against accused of attacking Aurora students in Park County. By Max Levy, Denver officer indicted on two felony charges in July shootout. By Colleen Slevin, a look forward at 2023. Public safety remains a top priority for Aurora Council by Max Levy and following up with the miscellaneous articles. Partisan Abide, Democrat-controlled legislature to focus on gun law reform, health care, education by Sentinel Staff, January 5, 2023. Report of a purported, quote, red wave, unquote, during the 2022 midterms were unfounded in Colorado, where Democrats picked up seven seats in the state legislature, keeping control of both the House and the Senate and every statewide office. While history would predict that Democrats will continue to have to bring Republican legislatures on board for controversial bills, Dems are navigating both the destination and the path for a host of measures this session. Look to several Aurora state lawmakers to play prominent roles in the 2023 General Assembly, which begins January 9th. Representative Eamon Jode, D. Aurora, will serve as majority co-whip in the House which will have 46 Democrats this session and just 19 Republicans. Quote, whipping the votes of 46 people is going to be a lot different than 41 people in our last term, unquote, she said. Quote, while that may not seem like a huge gap, I think legislatively it is when you're in that chamber, unquote. She and the other Aurora area Democrats say they hope their electoral success this fall will allow them to continue to make progress on their agenda. Quote, it looks like Colorado's spoken and we have a mandate from the people to bring legislation, unquote, said Representative Naquita Ricks, an Aurora Democrat. Now that Colorado is, quote, a quote, unquote, blue state, unquote, Ricks said the next challenge will be determining if the state has enough tax revenue to meet the demand for services that voters want. Quote, I think there's going to be a delicate balance of doing that under the restrictions of Tabor, unquote, she said. Quote, how do we get enough funding to do all the things that we need for the people of Colorado and to make this an equitable, just state? Those are the issues we're going to be wrestling with as a legislature, unquote. Gun law reform. Given that Congress isn't poised to make another big push to address gun law reform in 2023, last year marked the biggest legislative package in three decades. States are largely on their own to take up the issue in the year ahead. In Colorado, lawmakers will grapple with the aftermath of the Club Q shooting, which killed five and wounded 19 in Colorado Springs in November, and calls to strengthen the state's, quote, red flag law, unquote, which allows a law enforcement to take a person's firearms if a court deems the person is a danger to themselves or others. The Club Q shooter had previously threatened to blow up his mom's house with a homemade bomb. A judge dismissed the 2021 case and remarked that the shooter had, quote, clearly been planning for something else, unquote, according to court transcripts obtained by the Associated Press. Still, no order to remove their weapons was made. 
the red flag law passed in 2019 had been used more than 300 times. But following the Club Q shooting, the law's advocates say more needs to be done. Quote, We're having a discussion now with local law enforcement, with state legislators about what holes exist in extreme risk protection orders and how we can better make sure that we have a system that works to keep people safe across Colorado. Unquote. Governor Jared Polis told Kaiser Health News in late December, It's possible that the state could expand the law to include more people eligible for partitioning the process. Polis hinted on national news it would be a possible legislative effort in 2023. On NBC's, quote, Meet the Press, unquote, Polis said he'd be open to amending the law. Quote, what can be used to better publicize, make available, add different parties to make sure that it's used when it should be used, unquote, he said. Colorado Capitol Watchers are also anticipating a bill to raise the age from 18 to 21 to buy all types of guns. Senator-elect Tom Sullivan, who previously served in the House, told the Sentinel he would carry the proposal, quote, Two out of the four years I've been in the House, we weren't even allowed to run gun legislation, unquote. The father of Alex Sullivan, who was killed in the Aurora Theater shooting in 2012, said, quote, I've had heated conversations with the last two speakers of the Colorado House on to why bills aren't put up. These aren't even monumental bills. This is like lost and stolen firearms, raising the minimum age of buying an assault rifle. It's been 22 years since Columbine, and we don't even have a definition of assault rifle, unquote. This fall, a group of lawmakers formed the Gun Violence Prevention Caucus. Sullivan said he hopes that will help foster more conversations about legislation. Quote, we believe that gun violence is a public health crisis and we pledge to prioritize legislation that addresses gun violence with proven, equitable, and scientific measures that save lives and make our communities safer, unquote, the group of legislators said in announcing the new caucus. Quote, our caucus represents a state that has seen too much heartbreak inflicted by gun violence. And it is up to us to do what we can to enact sensible measures to protect public health and our communities. We look forward to productive discussions in the 2023 General Assembly and beyond. Upon the 10-year anniversary of the Aurora Theater shooting, Sullivan, a Democrat, said he wants Coloradans to look at the legislature and know that work on the issue is happening at the Capitol, just like transportation or education, even if a bill doesn't pass on the first try. Quote, I can learn from that, unquote, he said. Quote, but I'm running out of time, unquote. Other members of the Aurora delegation voiced a desire to do more on gun safety as well. Joda said she hopes that the fact that the Democratic Party had such a good year in the midterms will help the legislature make more progress on the issue. Quote, the Democratic caucus has a supermajority in the House and I think we have an opportunity to really navigate this issue for Colorado in a way that we may not have had before. Unquote, she said. Consumer Protections Two years ago, amid the early panic of the pandemic, grocery store shelves were empty of hand sanitizer, toilet paper, and other essentials. Colorado lawmakers quickly realized the state was one of only a few that didn't have a law prohibiting price gouging during a disaster. A law that year passed along party lines, fixed the oversight, said Aurora State Rep. Mike Weissman, who sponsored the bill. But two years later, quote, the prices are still high, unquote. Quote, 
it shouldn't be okay and it's not okay for bad actors to engage in price gouging years after a disaster, unquote. Weissman, a Democrat, told the Sentinel. He plans to introduce legislation that takes the 2020 bill further. The 2020 law, enforceable by the State Attorney General's office, applies to items and services such as building materials, gas, medical supplies, repair services, and consumer food items. The disaster period is defined as 180 days from the date when a disaster declaration begins. Weissman said his legislation, still in the drafting stages, would prohibit price gouging outside of that six-month time window. It's particularly important now, he said, because inflation has already increased the costs of many goods and services. Ricks, who has focused on consumer protections throughout her time in the House, said she has more bills on that topic in the pipeline for this session, including more legislation around accountability for homeowners associations, HOAs, and support for Coloradans experiencing medical debt. Health and Mental Health Health and mental health continue to be topics of interest for the Aurora delegation. Quote, mental health continues to be a big issue for people in Colorado, and we're trying to see if we can close some of those gaps, unquote, Ricks said. The Behavioral Health Administration was launched last as a new cabinet member-led agency inside the Colorado Department of Human Services designed to improve the state's response to behavioral health care. As that continues to get off the ground, Ricks said she is working on a bipartisan bill to help some of the gaps that exist in mental health treatment. Daphna Michelson, Jeanette, who formerly represented House District 30, was elected this fall to represent the redistricted House District 32, said she will continue to work on expanding mental health treatment for kids and adolescents. She was one of the sponsors of a bill in 2021 that allowed young people to access up to three free mental health sessions through the state's, quote, I Matter, unquote, program. This session, she said she will be working on a bill to allow for mental health screenings to be given at school starting at the middle school level. The screenings would be done by an outside evaluator, and from there, students could be referred to the iMatter program or to a provider that took their insurance. The evaluator would not be connected to a school, but by offering these screenings at the school would increase accessibility, which Jeanette said would help with being proactive about youth's mental health needs. She also will be working on a bill that would provide funding for schools to store glucagon pens in the case of a diabetic emergency, which is similar to an EpiPen and treats severe low blood sugar for people with diabetes. Some kids have their own pens that they bring to school, but this would allow schools to purchase pens and not designated for any particular student. This would benefit students with diabetes because the pens are prohibitively expensive for many families, Jeanette said. Quote, if you are a kid who has diabetes who is not upper middle class, don't have an extra pen to leave at school for emergencies, unquote, she said. Quote, this would allow kids who would not be able to afford to have a pen at school to have one, unquote. Legislators said they also expected there to be more bills focused on access to reproductive health care in this session following the reversal of Roe v. Wade in June. During the last session, the legislature passed the Reproductive Health Equity Act, which guarantees the right to an abortion under state law. Jode, who focused on health care during her two years in office, said she thinks reproductive rights will continue to be a focus for the legislature this session. With 51 out of 100 seats, she noted that this is the first time the Colorado legislature will have more women than men. Quote, I'm excited to see how all these policies will happen under a majority women legislature, unquote, she said.
Crime Victims After a year of rising crime in Aurora, local lawmakers say they're also bringing forward a slate of bills designed to help crime victims. Aurora police reported a roughly 21% increase in motor vehicle thefts between 2021 and 2022, along with a 19% increase in murders, according to statistics current as of December 25th. Property crime in general increased 9.4% and violent crime increased 13.7%. Republicans rallied around the impacts of Colorado's, quote, crime wave, unquote, during their unsuccessful campaign for the governorship and other statewide offices in 2022. While they blamed bail reform and other Democratic policies for increases in certain crimes, which took place as the country was exiting the most intense phase of the COVID-19 pandemic, Democratic lawmakers this year are proposing several bills advancing public safety. Violent crime is personal for Senator Rhonda Fields. In 2005, her son, Javad, and his fiancée, Vivian, were shot to death in retaliation for her son's decision to testify in a murder trial. This year, Fields received an unwelcome shock when one of the people named as an accessory to the 2005 murders, Percy Carter, was released from prison and settled again in Aurora. According to Fields, by the time her family was notified of the possibility of Carter's release, the 62-year-old was already free. Fields later asked for and was granted a restraining order against Carter. The senator previously ran bills to fund the state's automated crime victim notification system and amend Colorado's Victims' Rights Act to codify the ability of victims to attend court proceedings remotely. In 2023, she hopes to run a bill that would create a notification schedule for crime victims who would be given a heads up when an offender is ready to be released from prison. Quote, we do have a victim notification system, but it's not enough, unquote, Fields said. Quote, I had no advance notice. I had no idea if I was going to run into Carter at the grocery store or the gas pump and I would have been startled, unquote. Fields also said she plans to introduce a bill aimed at reducing the prevalence and impact of motor vehicle theft. Rising rates of auto theft prompted new legislation by the Aurora City Council in 2022 including mandatory minimum sentences for the crime when charged in municipal court and resolutions directing city management to research the costs of the city setting up a fund to reimburse victims of property crime as well as setting up a city impound lot to store stolen cars. Right now, Aurora contracts with a private company, MNM Towing, to impound stolen vehicles that have been recovered by police. The arrangement means numbers of the public have to pay around $200 to retrieve their cars, which numerous lawmakers have said adds insult to injury for victims. Quote, No person who has been victimized should have a double whammy of that bill for storage, unquote, Fields said. She plans to introduce a bill that would set aside funding to reimburse theft victims and help police departments purchase technology such as license plate readers. Fields also hopes to build on the Enhanced Law Enforcement Integrity Act by proposing legislation that would limit or ban the use of no-knock warrants, which allow police to force their way into a home without first announcing themselves. In recent years, the no-knock warrants have been blamed for numerous deadly confrontations between homeowners and police. Aurora's city council voted to ban no-knock warrants in 2020, citing their role in the death of Brianna Taylor, a black woman who was shot to death during a police raid in Louisville, Kentucky. Disability Rights 
Disabled renters in the Denver metro area face a scarcity of accessible housing, with just 7% of housing units accessible to people with mobility problems, according to U.S. Census Bureau data compiled by Rental Website Apartment List. Representative David Ortiz, who in 2020 became the first person using a wheelchair to be elected to the General Assembly, said the majority of House Democrats will be focusing on housing and renters in 2023. Ortiz plans to contribute legislation that would require a certain percentage of new condominiums, apartments, and townhomes be built with accessible features along with any of those housing units undergoing major renovations. He said the bill would also make it easier for seniors to stay in their homes as they navigate the health problems that come with getting older. Quote, it'll give them a safe place to age, unquote, he said. Ortiz's arrival at the Capitol building pushed staff to make changes to the building so that he and any future disabled lawmakers could enter the House chamber and reach his desk on his own. Other proposals being brought by Ortiz this year would improve accessibility in government facilities as well as outdoor spaces. He also hopes to amend the state's anti-discrimination laws to ensure people have the right to litigate violations in addition to any administrative processes. Quote, We have a huge majority, so people should keep an eye out for transformative legislation, unquote, Ortiz said. Quote, and people should reach out if they want something done, unquote. Representative-elect Ruby Dixon also said she is interested in bringing bills that would encourage the construction of denser housing and alternative housing options such as tiny homes. Other priorities for Dixon include strengthening guarantees of abortion access included in the Reproductive Health Equity Act, running a bill to restrict permits for new coal-fired power plants, and running legislation to help workers who may be impacted by the transition to green energy. Quote, I would definitely say my priorities in 2023 are affordability, reproductive freedom, climate change, and keeping communities safe, unquote, she said. Quote, I'm just really excited to be in a position to be able to make change, unquote. Back to class. Education issues will again be pressing for legislators this year. Lawmakers are expected to grapple with funding issues along with narrowing the learning loss gap left by the pandemic. Chalkbeat Colorado reports that a new school funding formula may be on the way. For the last five years, the Interim Committee on School Finance has been working to rewrite the finance formula, and in November the group succeeded at beginning work on the proposal. This issue specifically could see more movement this year as Representative Julie McCluskey is both chair of the committee and incoming speaker of the House. Local legislators will run a bill focused on helping adults finish high school-level education. Representative Mike Weissman and Senator Jeanette Buckner, both Aurora Democrats, plan to carry the legislation. Quote, The reality is that a lot of life circumstances can bear on a person's ability to obtain formal education, unquote, Weissman said. Quote, in a city as diverse as ours, Senator Buckner and I think it's important to achieve other options for obtaining education, unquote. Retired teacher Eliza Hamrick was elected to represent House District 61 this fall and will be serving on the Education Committee. After 32 years teaching at Overland High School, education is something she remains passionate about, and she said she hopes to do work in the legislature to help support teachers. A shortage of education funding has been a long-standing source of frustration in Colorado, and Hamrick said she hopes to be able to work with local districts to find ways the legislature can help. Quote, We're really going to have to try to be more creative with education funding, unquote, she said. 
Two specific policies she's interested in are bringing back stipends for teachers who are becoming National Board Certified. The certification used to be covered, but the funding expired, and it needs an act of the state legislature to come back. If it can't be covered for teachers everywhere in the state, she hopes funding can be earmarked for teachers in rural districts so they can use it as an incentive to recruit and retain staff. She also said she hopes to put together some sort of portal where high school students can explore their options after school, including trades and industry opportunities for those interested in something other than a four-year degree. Judge dismisses case against a man accused of attacking Aurora students in Park County by Max Levy, Sentinel Staff Writer, January 4, 2023. Aurora A Park County judge on Tuesday agreed to dismiss charges against a Bailey resident accused of attacking a group of Community College of Aurora students last March. Students previously told the Sentinel that John Spencer, 29, attacked them while using racially charged language after one of their cars became stuck on the unpaved, snowy road near Spencer's home. Spencer faced two counts of third-degree assault and five counts of harassment in connection with the incident. 11th Judicial District Attorney Linda Stanley asked Judge Brian Green to dismiss the charges Tuesday, saying an investigation on behalf of prosecutors turned up inconsistencies between statements given by witnesses. She did not say what those discrepancies were. Quote, those inconsistencies are a concern for the people in being able to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt and also a potential self-defense argument for Mr. Spencer, unquote, Stanley said. Quote, I simply cannot proceed if I don't believe that I have enough evidence to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, unquote. Students and their families were incredulous, accusing Stanley of not taking the case seriously and asking Green to deny Stanley's motion to dismiss charges or else appoint a special prosecutor to take over the case. Green refused both requests. Quote, I'm just in complete shock. I know that I personally don't agree with it being dismissed, unquote, said Mallory Stafford Mustachio, one of the students present during the alleged attack. Quote, I didn't know about the dismissal until today, unquote. She said Stanley declined to tell her what the alleged inconsistencies were in the group's statements. Stafford Mustachio also pointed out that sheriff's deputies waited until the day after the alleged attack to get statements from the group, which could have impacted students' recollections. Deputies also waited until the following day to arrest Spencer, and multiple witnesses told the Sentinel that officers at the scene said they were afraid that Spencer might cause a domestic violence incident if they tried taking him into custody that night. The driver of the vehicle that became stuck, who is black and who, witnesses say, Spencer called, quote, a dumb black B word, unquote, said she had changed her legal name since the attack out of fear that Spencer would try to track her down. Quote, I disagree fully that it was self-defense. I mean, we saw our friend get brutally beaten, unquote, she said, quote, it's just very baffling to me that he can sit there and just live his life without any repercussions, unquote. Defense attorney Aaron Penix said the attention generated by the case had led to people leaving negative reviews for Spencer's business and caused Spencer to put his home in Bailey up for sale. Penix accused the students of attacking Spencer because, quote, they didn't want to hear that they shouldn't be driving two-wheel drive in that weather because they didn't want to be talked down to as city folks, unquote. Quote, his life has been completely upended by these falsehoods, unquote, Penix said. Quote, without even a conviction from the court, they have subjected him to public ridicule and loss of business and property. And all of this because he tried to help these people get their car unstuck, unquote. 
While Penix insisted Spencer was not a racist and claimed the allegation that Spencer used racially charged language was not mentioned by students when deputies arrived on scene. A video provided by the students shows Spencer telling the driver, quote, you're black and you're dumb, unquote. In a now-deleted Facebook post, the Park County Sheriff's Office also confirmed the basic facts of the case and said Spencer was, quote, completely out of line and apparently prejudiced, unquote. Penix said attorneys working on the case were never shown the footage captured by the group. The Spencer case is not the first high-profile investigation where charges were brought by Stanley's office only to be dropped. Last year, Stanley also dismissed charges against Barry Morphew, who had been accused of murdering his missing wife, after Stanley allegedly failed to turn over evidence and was blocked by a judge from presenting key witnesses. Nine News reported in October that Stanley's handling of the Morphew case was at least one of the topics of interest for investigators affiliated with the Colorado Supreme Court's Attorney Regulation Council, who were reportedly scrutinizing Stanley's conduct. The entity has the power to discipline attorneys in the state. On Tuesday, Attorney Regulation Counsel Jessica Yates told the Sentinel that the investigation into Stanley was ongoing but declined to provide more details. Stanley's law license was also temporarily suspended in 2022 after she failed to keep up with continuing legal education requirements, which is, quote, very uncommon, unquote, for a district attorney. According to an interview Yates gave to the Cannon City Daily Record at the time, Judge Green told those present for Tuesday's court hearing that it was the job of Stanley's office to decide charges for Spencer and other defendants. Quote, it is extremely unlikely that the court would deny a motion to dismiss. It's the prosecutor's job to make that decision. It's not my job to overrule her in her charging decisions, unquote, she said. After Green accepted Stanley's motion to dismiss charges against Spencer, one of the students reacted by saying, quote, Oh my F word, God, unquote. Green then threatened to hold the student in contempt of court, warning that, quote, If you're going to be using profanity on this court line, you may find yourself in contempt and you may be the one sitting in jail, unquote. The dismissal also means the lifting of an associated restraining order against Spencer. Spencer pleaded not guilty to the charges in October, and a jury trial in the case was originally scheduled for February. Denver officer indicted on two felony charges in July shootout by Colleen Slevin, Associated Press, January 5th, 2023 Denver A Denver police officer who fired at an armed man and was accused of accidentally shooting five bystanders in the crowd outside a bar has been indicted on assault and other charges, prosecutors announced Wednesday. A grand jury indicted Officer Brandon Ramos on two counts of second-degree assault both felonies, as well as six counts of third-degree assault, a prohibited use of a weapon, and five counts of reckless endangerment, which are misdemeanors, in the July 17, 2022 incident in a nightlife area, according to court documents. No lawyer was listed as representing him yet in court records. Three officers in total fired at Jordan Waddy, 21, after he allegedly pulled out a gun from his pocket outside the Larimer Beer Hall at closing time, according to the indictment. Allegedly, Ramos shot at Waddy from the side twice while a crowd of people was standing behind him, it said. Waddy did not turn around to face toward Ramos with the firearm, according to the indictment. The two other officers who were standing in front of Waddy when he pulled the gun will not be prosecuted because grand jurors found that they were legally justified in shooting at him, Denver District Attorney Beth McCann said. According to the indictment, officers Kenneth Rowland and Megan Lieberson feared for their lives and the lives of other officers when they fired a combined six shots at him, 
From their positions, there was only a brick wall and the bar behind Wadi. Wadi did not turn around to face Ramos, according to the indictment. Officer Ramos' decision to shoot was not legally justified because it was reckless, unreasonable, and unnecessary for the purpose of protecting himself or other officers, and he consciously disregarded an unjustifiable risk of injury to the crowd behind Mr. Wadi, unquote, it said. Wadi was struck several times but survived. He is a previous offender and is being prosecuted for third-degree assault and possession of a firearm, McCann said. The officers, all assigned to a unit to prevent violence in the area on the weekends, were following Wadi after he punched another man during a fight and signaled that he was armed. McCann, who asked a grand jury to review the shooting in August, thanked grand jurors for their work, which involved hearing from 17 witnesses and reviewing 140 exhibits. Quote, this is a very serious matter, and I appreciate the time and attention each of them devoted to this important decision. The case will now move forward in the courts, unquote, she said. Both Denver Mayor Michael Hancock and the police department's union questioned the decision to charge Ramos with a crime. While Hancock, a Democrat, called the shooting of bystanders an unquote, unfortunate quote, situation, he said he was surprised that the grand jury found that Ramos had criminal intent. Quote, police officers make split-second decisions under difficult circumstances on a daily basis, and those decisions are rooted in keeping people safe, unquote, he said in a statement. Meanwhile, the Denver Police Protective Association said it would do everything it could to defend Ramos. It predicted the indictment would hinder what it already said was an understaffed and overworked department's ability to recruit and retain officers, and said the whole situation could have been avoided if Wadi had stopped and shown empty hands to the officers. To charge this officer with a felony crime, jeopardizing his career and liberty for acting as he was trained and in the public interest, with no malice, ill intent, or lack of concern is unfortunate and sad, unquote, the union said. The Denver Police Department declined to comment on the indictment because of the pending prosecution. Siddhartha H. Rathod, a lawyer representing the bystanders who were shot, said the issue was not about criminal intent, but about, quote, reckless and outrageous conduct, unquote, by Ramos. He said the police department should also work on improving their training if they want to ensure they can find officers to work for it. Willis Small IV, who lost a portion of his foot after being shot, said he decided to stay home on New Year's Eve because he feared gunfire on such a big night, especially after he was wounded on an ordinary night out. Quote, it's a blessing that any of us are even standing here today, unquote he said at a press conference at Rathod's office. A look forward at 2023. Public safety remains a top priority for Aurora Council. By Max Levy, Sentinel Staff Writer, January 5, 2023. Aurora. Many of the Aurora City Council's top priorities from 2022 remain pressing in 2023 including responses to homelessness and deteriorating roads and streets. Later this year, the city is also scheduled to hold elections for the mayorship and five council seats. Here's a quick rundown of topics we're expecting to see the city and partner agencies focus on in 2023. Homelessness While Aurora has stepped up sweeps targeting homeless campers in 2022, Introducing a ban on homeless camping earlier this year, it's not clear what lasting impact the policy will have on the prevalence of street homelessness. In December, city staffers told the council that bids would be requested early this year for an agency to run the homeless navigation center envisioned by the mayor as part of his, quote, work first, unquote, plan for addressing homelessness. Volunteer teams are scheduled to locate and talk with homeless residents on January 31st as part of the point-in-time count conducted on behalf of the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. 
which is the city's primary source of information on the size of its homeless population. Public safety. Aurora police reported a roughly 21% bump in motor vehicle thefts in 2022 compared to 2021. Deputy City Manager Jason Batchelor told the council last month that a program to help victims of car theft with towing and storage costs would be introduced in 2023. Currently, Aurora residents have to pay around $200 to retrieve their stolen vehicles from a third-party lot. Council members voted last year to research the cost of the city setting up its own lot, which could spare car theft victims the added inconvenience of a fee. The city will continue to implement the five points of a crime reduction plan passed by council conservatives last year, which include adequately funding the Aurora Police Department, expanding youth violence programming, and APD's mental health core response program, and dealing with the public health impacts of homeless encampments. The council is also expected to sign off on the appointment of a new fire chief and possibly a new permanent police chief in 2023 after Fernando Gray stepped down and Vanessa Wilson was fired last year. Recreation Later this month, Aurora's newest city recreation center will open its doors to the public. Work on the Southeast Recreation Center and Fieldhouse began in early 2021, funded by marijuana tax revenues. The finished facility is west of Aurora Reservoir off of South Harvest Road. Starting January 17th, the facility will be open 5.30 a.m. to 8.30 p.m. on weekdays, 8 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. on Saturdays, and 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Sundays. Aurora Public Library is also extending hours at its larger branches. The Central and Talons Reach libraries will be open 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. on Mondays through Thursdays, as well as 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Fridays and weekends, including Sundays. Odds and Ends The Council will hold its first regular meeting of the year, January 9th, following a two-week holiday break. While the repeal of the city's occupational privilege tax isn't scheduled to take effect until 2025, compensating budget cuts and any new offsetting revenues could be identified during this year's budgeting process. The repeal is expected to remove $6 million annually from the budget. Cuts will not be made to public safety departments or the city's road maintenance fund. Build up Aurora a citywide road maintenance campaign funded by $35 million worth of certificates of participation is also scheduled to break ground this year. Final design work will also continue on the Colfax Bus Rapid Transit project, which is now slated to become operational in 2026. Council members voted to contribute roughly $2.3 million to the project last year. Thank you for joining us for the Arapahoe County News. My name is Pablo. Your regularly scheduled program is not available at this time. Please enjoy this special broadcast on AINC. Thank you for joining us for Denver Metro News. My name is Dave Dell. Today I'll be reading articles from Denverite and Westward. From Denverite, I'll be reading Colorado's plan to relieve pressure on Denver, Bussing Migrants and State Workers Volunteering at Shelters by Obed Manuel. And History Colorado is heading out on a road trip to research and preserve Green Book sites by Desiree Matherin. From Westward, I'll be reading People to Watch in 2023, Michael Spencer, Anchorman by Michael Roberts. And Note to the Next Mayor, Some Ideas for Better Clearing the Snow by Connor McCormick Cavanaugh. I'll finish up the hour with other articles from Westward. These first two articles are from Denverite. Colorado's plan to relieve pressure on Denver, busing migrants and state workers volunteering at shelters, by Obed Manuel. To relieve pressure on Denver's makeshift and existing shelter spaces, Colorado plans to transport migrants and asylum seekers who have been arriving in Denver for weeks to other cities in the U.S. 
Governor Jared Polis also extended an offer of administrative leave to the state's 31,000 employees if they volunteer at the city's emergency shelters. The state has helped organize chartered buses for groups of migrants to reach their destinations starting this week. Polis said coordinating bus trips is meant to put the agency and the decision-making of the migrant in the forefront. Polis described his policy as entirely different from what Republican governors did last year in sending migrants on unannounced trips to cities across the U.S. The state said it was partnering with two nonprofits to help migrants move to their intended destinations, where some may have friends or family waiting for them. So far, Polis said, many who have arrived and overwhelmed Denver's existing and emergency shelters actually plan to be in Miami, New York, and Chicago. Migrants do not have to prove that they have friends or family in other cities, but Polis said the local emergency managers are coordinating the arrival of larger groups of migrants with other cities. We ask. Many of them have family or friends, and that's why they're headed to the areas they're headed, Polis said. But we don't get into interrogating people. We just honor their agency and their goals. The state is working with new, two nonprofits, the Immigrant Rights Group American Friends Services Committee, AFSC, and Papagayo, a nonprofit organization that works with Venezuelan Americans in Denver. AFSC has been tasked with making sure nonprofits in other cities are aware that chartered buses are arriving, said Jennifer Piper, the group's interfaith organizing director. Piper said they try to make sure that migrants' needs are met at their destinations and that they don't arrive with no idea where to go. She added that her nonprofit is also making sure migrants understand that they are not being forced to leave and that they can stay in Denver if they so choose. They've already made the decision, Piper said. We're just double-checking and clarifying any questions they might have. Many migrants who have been in Denver for several weeks at this point have intended to move on to other cities, Piper said, but weather delays and canceled bus trips have limited their ability to leave. The move by the state should help relieve the strain on Denver's available resources, but Piper said she would have a better idea next week if the strategy is paying off. As of Thursday, more than 3,700 migrants have arrived and been given aid in Denver. Almost 1,700 are currently sheltered by the city or partner organizations. In addition to the chartered buses, the governor also authorized the state's 31,000 state workers to be eligible for administrative leave if they choose to volunteer at Denver's emergency shelters. According to an email sent from Polis to state agencies, state workers are eligible for up to 16 hours of administrative leave through January 20th. A previous move by the governor last month allowed for workers to volunteer for 16 hours as well. Some $5 million have been made available by the state government for costs related to the migrant arrivals. Half of that has been allocated to Denver's response, but Polis said any city in the state can apply for the money. Polis said he urged the Biden administration to offer a more coordinated effort to resettle people arriving and offer them temporary protected status as well as work permits to eligible migrants arriving in the U.S. now. On Thursday, President Joe Biden announced a new immigration plan that would allow up to 30,000 immigrants from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela to enter the U.S. legally if they meet certain financial requirements. The move will also allow federal immigration authorities to deny asylum applications for people from those four countries if they cross into the U.S. without authorization. History Colorado is heading out on a road trip to research and preserve Green Book sites by Desiree Matherin. History Colorado will soon set out on a preservation road trip across the state to explore and investigate Green Book sites thanks to a national grant. These places were businesses that would serve black travelers when segregation was legal. History Colorado's State Historic Preservation Office was awarded almost $75,000 grant by the National Park Service late last month to jumpstart in-depth studies into the sites and eventually nominate at least one of them for historic designation with both the national and state registers of historic places. The project began last year, and the idea stemmed from the three-time Oscar award-winning film 
The Green Book. According to Patrick Eidman, the Chief Preservation Officer and Deputy State Historic Preservation Officer. Staff here at the time thought that there was a need to look more deeply at sites associated with the Green Book and other travel resources of that type in Colorado. It just wasn't really well understood or studied at the time, Eidman said. The movie intersected with our efforts, and we've since ramped up acknowledging that History Colorado has a lot of work to do on this front in terms of understanding and preserving resources associated with BIPOC communities, in particular the black community and that history in Colorado. Initially, History Colorado began scoping out Green Book sites, driving by known buildings and using Google Maps. The goal was to determine which locations were still around. The organizations compiled a list of about 38 locations scattered across the state in Denver, Commerce City, Colorado Springs, Pueblo, Canyon City, Lamar, Brush, Montrose, and Granby. Many of the Denver sites were centered in five points along Welton Street, including the Roxy Theater and 715 Cafe and Grill. Other sites include the shutdown Awahani Motel and Lodge, C&P Restaurant, which no longer exists, and currently houses Sun Market. Eidman said intensive surveying is the next step in the project. The organization will cruise around Colorado documenting the sites and noting the physicality of the places. Staff will photograph and map out locations, then dive into more archival history. More in-depth research will be completed and staffers will engage with community members and folks familiar with the locations. The grant funding will help the project through this thorough and labor-intensive stage. History Colorado applied for the underrepresented community grant from the National Park Service to move this project into the next phase. The purpose of the grant is to fund projects that will lead to more diverse landmark designations. That includes places in black and brown communities, LGBTQ spaces, and rural areas. According to History Colorado, only 8% of locations listed on the National Register of Historic Places represent minority or marginalized communities. Only 5% of places in these communities are listed in the Colorado State Register of Historic Places. History Colorado said it's the third time they've received this grant. The other grants funding projects in 2021 and 2017 associated with the women's suffrage movement across that state and Hispano communities in the San Luis Valley, respectively. Eidman said the project is ongoing and there's no particular end date. History Colorado plans to dive into green sites for as long as necessary, traveling to as many sites as possible to determine which areas are eligible for landmark designation. The goal for now is to find at least one location, but Eidman said there will be hopefully more than one. We just want to get out into the community and talk to folks and understand what history was known more anecdotally or passed down through family, Eidman said. We're hoping to identify 50 or 60 sites where we can go in and do that more intensive level survey and then we'll prepare at least one, hopefully a couple, but at least one National Register nomination. This isn't the end of the project. We're really trying to lay the foundation here to make some big advancements in this work. Ultimately, the History Colorado's goal is to continue collecting, preserving, and telling these stories from underrepresented communities that are typically unheard of and on the verge of being lost. In the last few years, Eidman said History Colorado's State Historical Fund changed their requirements to allow for more cultural aspects to be considered. A portion of that funding recently went toward renovating the 1908 Manzanola United Methodist Church in Otero County, which is considered the only remaining structure touchstone of a black homesteader community known as the Dry. Eidman said the organization is also auditing older designations in search for properties associated with BIPOC communities. He said those older designations focused more on architectural design and didn't tell the full social story. One example is East High School. While the design warrants designation, Eidman said the nomination didn't talk about the school's black history, including student activism and segregation. As we look at the state register or the national register of historic places, 
We just historically have not done a good job telling the broad story of Colorado. It's been very focused on the majority or dominant culture, Eidman said. Colorado's history is much deeper and more complex. Our day-to-day work is really focused on how we can tell the full and complete history of Colorado. So this really fits into our work to look more closely and to understand places associated with folks that weren't part of the dominant culture. The following articles are from Westward. People to Watch in 2023. Michael Spencer, Anchorman, by Michael Roberts. In 2023, Michael Spencer will really be a person to watch as the new nighttime anchor on CBS4. Not long ago, news anchors at Denver television outlets were among the biggest stars in town, and while a little thing called the Internet has radically altered the media landscape in the Mile High City, the folks in these positions remain the faces of their still powerful stations, and they don't leave the gigs very often. And Trujillo took over as Denver 7's primetime news dispenser in 1999, 15 years after becoming a staffer. Jeremy Hubbard stepped into the weekday spotlight for Fox 31 in 2011. Kim Christensen was hired by Nine News in 1985 and took over Adele Arakawa's chair at the big desk in 2017. And Jim Benneman began regularly co-hosting CBS4 Denver's most prominent news programs in 2003. Now, Michael Spencer, who's led CBS4 Denver's sports coverage since 2016, is set to join this exclusive club. Following Benjamin's retirement in March, he'll team up with Karen Lee, who came aboard in 2008. His goals for the new gig include figuring out how to get his work in front of as many news consumers as possible, now that they don't all line up at the same times. There's no more appointment viewing in broadcasting, he concedes. Today, we go to viewers on Twitter and Facebook, which is a huge driver for getting people to our website. We also have a 24-hour streaming service, so people can get the news when it's convenient to them. It's no longer, hey, it's 5 o'clock, let's turn on Channel 4, which isn't even on Channel 4 anymore for most of them. Spencer tries to treat those who actually catch the broadcast live the old-fashioned way and the crowd checking out the material piecemeal on their phone in the same manner. I don't view them as two different audiences. I just think people are getting their news in different ways, he says. But he also understands that reaching people who rely on their phones requires a presence on social media, a demand not made of news anchors from a previous generation. It certainly has its pros and cons, he says, of this aspect of the job. Sometimes you get these Twitter warriors who want to pick fights with everything you put on. But I think it's a great opportunity to engage viewers, and when they see something you posted, it makes them more likely to watch or come out to the show we do at the Viewhouse in Centennial. It's a way to find out that they can see Denver Broncos linebacker Josie Jewell after he had two interceptions on Sunday. Of course, Spencer won't be delivering news broadcasts from area watering holes, but he still hopes to get out into the community as often as possible, rather than being chained to the studio. We can't do things the way we used to do them 20 years ago, or even 5 years ago, he says. We have to be innovative, and I feel like we've put ourselves in a really good spot as things are changing. Note to the next mayor, some ideas for better clearing the snow by Connor McCormick-Cavanaugh. After recent snowstorms in Denver, getting around town has become treacherous. Some sidewalks went unplowed by property owners, leading the snow to eventually turn into ice. Certain side streets still have significant amounts of ice and snow on them, and bike lanes along streets are just a hazardous mess. Given that this is his last winter in office, the term-limited Denver mayor, Michael Hancock, likely won't be coming up with any innovative solutions to solve Denver's snow infrastructure issues. However, a new mayor will be sworn in come July, and there's already talk among mayoral candidates about the issue of snow removal. Here are some ideas for the future Denver mayor to consider. Figure out a sidewalk fix. Snow removal on sidewalks typically falls to adjacent property owners, but that hasn't prevented parts of Denver's sidewalk network from having snow remain for days and ultimately turn into ice. 
I think it's time to rethink Denver's approach to snow removal overall. It's kind of rooted in this 1950s thinking in that the purpose of snow removal is to allow white-collar workers to drive the work. And it should be about how do we get people where they need to go, says Jill Lokentor, executive director of the Denver Streets Partnership, pointing to walking, biking, and rolling as other ways that pe people in Denver get around. Lokentor recently led the successful ballot measure effort to get a fee placed